listening to ACDC Beyond the Thunder, the podcast with the biggest balls of all, with your hosts, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. It's time to rock. Welcome to a very special edition of ACDC Beyond the Thunder podcast. My name is Eric Keel. Today, I'm excited to jump out from behind the board and flip the script by hosting a conversation with the originators and instigators of Beyond the Thunder, Kurt Squires and Greg Ferguson. Kurt, Greg, thanks for joining me remotely from your homes in North Carolina and Maine, respectively. Uh, So first thing, how are you guys holding up in this weird world of isolation that is unfortunately devoid of live rock and roll? Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely weird being kind of locked in the house and and not going out and doing the normal things for sure. Yeah, and I've I've found that I've been in isolation for most of my professional career and, and not known it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks for doing this, Eric. This is yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, we've been, you know, that's one of the things that uh, with everyone trying to make the the best of the current world situation, one of the things we've been talking about for a while now is is doing a special behind Beyond the Thunder episode. And my own mo- motivation for doing that was that you know, all along, I've thought the story of your creative journey along the way is is to me just as compelling or maybe more than than the already awesome story you guys are trying to tell about the band and their fans. Uh, some of our listeners might know some of the backstory from other uh, media sources and, and so forth. But I bet many people who've listened to podcasts don't know the origins of this project and the fact that it goes back you know, more than 10 years when, when you guys put aside your, made a pretty bold decision to put aside your daily careers and family duties and to make a documentary film about ACDC called Beyond the Thunder. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, that leap of faith. Well, I think, you know, at the time it didn't, it didn't really feel that bold of a, of a, of a leap, you know, basically we were entering into a recession and, you know, and our, our, a lot of our clients were kind of getting tight with the wallets and, and the jobs were going away. And, and, uh, you know, it, it seemed like a perfect time to start this project for some reason. And, and, uh, you know, we had the time, had a little bit of money and, uh, it was about, really kind of just keeping the creative momentum going and, you know, just shifting gears and doing something that we really wanted to do. Yeah. We both Greg and I had started our own companies and within a year and change the recession had hit. So all of our clients basically lost their jobs, you know, the people that we were working with. So I, I think we, we were in a, a nice little creative zone and we wanted to keep that energy going without losing our craft and what better way to take on a recession than with ACDC, right? Yeah. Completely irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually there's kind of a cool parallel, you know, just thinking about now with uh, what we're going through with COVID-19 now, but sometimes it is these weird world events that um, things outside our control that, uh, that push us to, to take risks in creative endeavors. And sometimes, you know, we have to take away that, that day-to-day safety net to, uh, to jump out and 
take something that's a passion project and, and pursue it. And, you know, I think certainly I've benefited from your guys' effort to do that. And I, I believe our audience has too. So I think, you know, we'll get into some more details surrounding the film. Um, but before we go too far, you know, I kind of want to bring this around to, to some of the things, the way we start off uh, some of the interviews, you know, with our, our interviewees. And that's basically this shared love of ACDC. So, you know, what is it about this band that moves and motivates your creative efforts so much? Kurt, why don't you start off? Well, I actually wanted to set out to do this project to answer that question because I've always been asked, what's my deal? And I couldn't explain it. So I figured, why not find out that answer? And my favorite one that's a recurring responses it's it's almost like a religion you you can't describe the feeling but what the music does to you it motivates you it, it makes you believe in something and it makes you happy it gives you confidence it gives you drive what have you and those are fun answers to find out from people from all walks of life Paul Greg how about you well I think, you know, most of the people, uh, you know, uh, ACDC fans probably know who Kurt is. <laughs> they don't know who I am because, you know, I'm not a super fan like Kurt is. You know, I've always been a fan of ACDC, but I, I pale in comparison to Kurt's, you know, fandom of the band. And, and uh, for me, you know, I really started to get into this after the first couple interviews and just seeing the community that, really surrounded ACDC and the passion and the, and the, and the emotion that these people had and the stories that they wanted to tell. I think that, you know, as we continued the project, it just got more and more evident to me that this band is a huge fucking deal. And it means a lot to a lot of people. It's impressive to hear their stories and why they connected. And, and I kind of relate a lot of that back to myself and, and pick a little parts of that and, and, and kind of keep that as, you know, why I like ACDC as well. You know, that's, that's one of the things about ACDC. I mean, so you have like the super fans, Kurt's definitely kind of in that category, but probably, you know, Greg, you and I more, you know, the, I, they were a, one of many bands at the time, but you know, it's, it seems like in the interviews, super fan or cursory fan or, or someone that appreciated them later, they, they kind of have that, ACDC moment where kind of wherever they are on that scale of a fan, there was something different about them at the time, something, you know, to me that felt dangerous or exciting. Oh, um, and so, you know, I guess like we've asked some of the guests, I mean, Greg, what, who introduced you to ACDC? What, you know, when did you first he hear them and how did that feel? Yeah, I was lucky enough to have an older brother and, you know, he's four years older than I am and he was into a lot of, music that kind of i would hear what he's playing for records and i'd go and sneak into his room when he wasn't there and listen to all the vinyl that he had bought and you know acdc was one that i reached for often you know i think highway to hell was probably the first album that i listened to you know was he the kind of brother that would if he found out he would beat you up he'd beat the shit out of me <laughs> in fact i hope he doesn't listen to this right now <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're in trouble now. But, uh, yeah, you know, my brother had a great stereo system, and we, I just go in there, and you know, sometimes I have my friends over and be like, "Oh, you got You got to, you got to check this out. You got to listen to this." You know, and I was probably fifth grade, maybe at the time, and uh, yeah, it was definitely something that you wanted to turn up really loud 
on a nice sounding <laughs> yeah. system. And that feeling is just amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and not many, not many of his records could, could kind of get that emotion out of you, you know? Kurt, you were also, um, you have a brother connection to being introduced to ACDC as well, right? Yeah. I mean, growing up, my, I, I literally roamed with two other older brothers and, um, their big deal was Southern rock. Even though we lived in new England, it was Skinner and Molly hatchet and Blackfoot and all of these Southern rock, pure Prairie league, all these Southern rock bands. So I really grew up listening to a lot of that. And of course my parents were listening to the Beatles and CCR. And so it was a very musical household, but it wasn't until, and it, you know, obviously the who and, and Zeppelin were thrown in there, those English bands, but, it wasn't until my brothers brought home highway to hell like Craig that the landscape changed for me because I was listening to like, uh, you know, Saturday night fever soundtrack and super tramp. So, yeah. I mean, one of the cool things we're all about the same age, I guess. And so I think we, we, it sounds like when we've compared notes, we've, we've all were introduced about the same time, which is probably like more like preteen or, or younger age. Um, you know, and it was it was cool to have those older brothers or neighborhood friends who, uh, you know, could take you in the back of their Camaro because you know that's that's where ACDC sounds the best, right? That's um, right. So my brother had a red Camaro. Yeah, I I swear to swear to God they must have mastered that album to sound perfect in the back of a <laughs> Camaro. Um, to, and you know they the brought it home for the cover. You know, it wasn't <laughs> just music sounded dangerous, but you know, as a ten year old kid seeing that, I was like. I don't think I should be listening to this. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys both independently formed this special bond and you're right. It wasn't just with the sound, right. Of ACDC. It was with the sound, the look, the attitude and you know, what we now probably at the time were too young, but, but now in hindsight appreciate as the sort of rock and roll ethics and authenticity of ACDC. So in your childhood and teen years, and then you go, know, you guys grew up, built careers in the advertising industry, started families, and then, you know, we're going to fast forward a little bit here, but how did you guys then cross paths and discover this shared love for the band? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how we met. I met Kurt probably, I want to say it was like 2003, Kurt. Um, I had my uh, own production company at the time, and I was pitching some work at Kurt's agency. We were pitching to the owner of the agency, and uh, we just finished our, our pitch and Kurt was walking by the conference room and the owner said, Hey, Kurt, come on in here. I want you to check this out. And she wanted to show the piece that we had done for them. He, he comes walking in with a bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. He sits next to me <laughs> <laughs> and he says, hey, you want a piece? And I was like, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. So yeah, I think I think I actually declined, and I kind of regret that now. But um, I was I didn't know who Kurt was. I didn't, you know, I was like, who is this guy? Why is he sitting next to me? Why is he eating chicken? Um, but that was like my first experience uh, meeting Kurt, and I think you know right away we kind of hit it off, and I was like, this is a cool dude. I want to I want to definitely hang out with this guy sometime. And uh, chicken with this we, guy, we kind of made it happen. So yeah, <laughs> little did he know. Little did I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, the cool thing is that a lot of what Greg brought to the table creatively were things that I did not excel at. So there was this real synergy between the two of us of two components working together. 
So I continued to go back to Greg and hire him for other things. And it was really great to work with him and continually work with him to this day. So um, oh, I owe a lot to him. I don't know why he followed me down this path. <laughs> I don't either, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> the real cool story is go ahead, Greg, and tell him. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, years later, I think, you know, we talked about ACDC a lot, but we came to the realization that my first concert was ACDC. And it was in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I knew, I didn't know the exact date, but I knew it was Fly on the Wall Tour. And I knew it was in October. And Kurt was like, holy shit, I was at that show. And so we kind of compared stories. And not only were we at the same show, you know, 20 years before we met, but we were also like really in the almost the same section. Yeah. Yeah, because so, we were describing where we were sitting. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, that's where I was sitting. Yeah. That's yeah. Had no idea that, you know, Kurt was there and he had no idea I was there. And 20 years later, you know, we 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 crossed paths again. And, and it's uh, not like we're in the same state. Greg yeah, lived I grew up in New Hampshire and I'm from Maine. And we're totally different cities, so totally different states going to this show. Yeah. That's that's wild. That's I wild. think I was uh I was a freshman in high school and I didn't have my license. My friend's parents drove us there because it was like an hour and a half maybe from my house, the concert. It was, yeah, it was just an awesome, awesome experience to to just go there and just kind of feel badass, see ACDC and see all the people, all the fans there. It was just really an amazing experience. You know, and for special it. for me too, because I was with um, all of my siblings, every one of them. I think another cool story, Kurt, is um, I remember it was after meeting you. I think I was pitching another, either I was pitching another piece of work to you or something. And I thought it'd be really cool to use ACDC music, but I needed something that fit whatever I was doing. And it was like a Missy Elliott remix. Like someone had mixed Back in Black with Missy Elliott. Yeah. And I played it for you. And I just, I got this vibe from you where it was just like, the fuck are you doing? Don't, don't mess with ACDC. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, you kind of, you kind of nodded and you enjoyed it. But at the same time, you were just like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> I remember that. I, I, I actually can't describe the feeling that went through me. It was like <laughs> everything at once. And, I, and you're probably right. I, I was kind of shocked that I'd never heard that version, probably. Yeah, yeah. It was some weird, obscure remix that someone had done on YouTube or something, you know? So I don't think that's in any of our uh, published podcast episodes, but isn't there a guest in one of the interviews that's basically like, don't even try when you ask about ACDC cover songs? Wasn't it Dweezil? Oh, yeah, Dweezil. Well, Bumble, Bumblefoot said that, but you're right. Dweezil also said, don't bother. Or he was talking about trying to play Angus style like any gotcha. riffs of angus like just don't even try yeah you if know you spoken from like from a guitarist that's so right. interesting you know someone that's as proficient as dweezil is like guitar yeah and that's cool. the recurring theme you get is that it's acdc sounds simple but it's not simple to play because it's so tight definitely so over time your, your guys professional collaboration and uh, friendship was growing but i have to ask you know then like 
which one of you just popped this question? Hey, let's quit our jobs, fly around the country filming interviews for ACDC documentary. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say Kurt probably. Kurt usually yeah, ends up talking me into all this, this shit. Well, you know, he ropes me into all kinds of crazy stuff. And I have to give Greg a, a, a lot of props. He's been an amazing life partner. He never says no. <laughs> Gamer well, man. There's always adventure that follows Kurt. So, you know, why would you say no to that? Well, there is a little bit of something there. And I think that's uh, Kurt has this, this, this magic. Most people email slash and, and ask if he wants to do an interview and, and they get ignored. But, but Kurt, Kurt has a little bit of that uh, ability to get people on board. You know what the magic word is? It's not Kurt magic. It's the words ACDC. <laughs> yeah. It's the word ACDC. Yeah. People, people absolutely love to talk about ACDC. Your approach to the film from the beginning was, was to independently create and produce this documentary on your own dime, but with the band's full knowledge and support. And you guys had the credentials, some connections with the band and their management. We could probably do an entire separate podcast about the entire odyssey of of the film but can you guys give me an overview of just how things ultimately went down with with trying to realize that film project in fact the seed of the idea grew based on brian johnson and cliff williams inviting us for a drink at the chicago house of blues which happened to be one of greg and my first job and together with our own companies that was before the decision to make the film that was yeah that was, absolutely yeah. can you imagine all the people they have to deal with like myself coming up and saying i'm your biggest fan so after that moment on the back of a cocktail napkin with you know greg and i having a jack daniels or whatever and i said i had the idea for creating this film where we could give something back to acdc to kind of salute them and the beauty behind that project was we weren't making a different book cover for the same old rock and roll story or capitalizing on selling another brand. I knew about ACDC. I knew enough about ACDC to take that idea one step further and focus in on the phenomenal stories of the individuals and how they'd been influenced, like the award-winning actor or the prolific author or the Hall of Fame pitcher, uh, all connected to this thing called ACDC in different, unique, compelling ways. And wouldn't it be cool to tell that story? So even if you weren't an ACDC fan, we could engage new listeners or viewers at the time. We wanted to make a documentary into, and rope them into understanding how powerful this thing is called ACDC. Yeah, I think, you know, as soon as I kind of heard that part from Kurt, you know, I was in. Didn't really matter, you know, the obstacles that were in our way. Um, you know, I think we we both kind of approached this project with a lot of enthusiasm, but also both being a little naive to the record industry and, and the music industry and, and how hard it is to really get someone's attention and, and to sell an idea. And I think that's, you know, in hindsight, I think that's something that we probably should have put first. But if we thought about that at the time, we wouldn't have accomplished what we wanted to do and you know we went out and just naively started doing interviews and said hey we're gonna we're gonna put together this trailer that can kind of really pitch the idea of what we want to accomplish with this film 
And it, I, I mean, and you guys just can't, I was like, came out like gangbusters with the interviews. I mean, we're not talking about just interviewing, um, you know, your, your old schoolmates brother about how he felt about ACDC. I and mean, we're talking some pretty big names out inside of music and outside of music. And, and then ultimately, I mean, you guys had the cachet, um, in the ACDC community to, to, and just in general to, to land those kind of interviews, it, it blows me away. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the people you've, you've had the opportunity to, to talk to ACDC about, and even some of the experiences, I mean, you know, one of, one of my favorites is, is the story about the, uh, classic rock magazine award show. Yeah. With, at that time we were really gaining momentum and people were starting to talk about it online and we were getting, magazine attention as well uh, we received a call from classic rock magazine in london asking if we would come over and accept the award for best album of the year for black ice for acdc <laughs> we're like why <laughs> and they said well um because they can't make it and we thought you guys would be the best choice to um receive that on their behalf and i was like i don't think so that doesn't sound right and eventually they coerced us into doing it because they were saying it was a fan related award voted on by the fans. And you guys are like the ultimate fans making the ultimate fan movie. And we were like, okay, we'll do it. So you hopped on a plane to London. They hopped on a plane to London. We had no money by this point, but you know what? We just had to check this thing out because little did we know we're sitting next to members of anthrax there's Zeppelins in the house, Aerosmiths in the house, members of the Rolling Stones, The Who, ZZ Top, Iggy Pop. I mean, it goes on and on, right? And by the end of the night, I'm on the couch with Tony Iommi sitting with two <laughs> trophies, like with his wife talking. It was This is ridiculous. Um, and everyone wants to talk to us because they showed our trailer and we accepted the award for ACDC, one of the biggest bands in the world. So everyone wants to know who we are and, hey, can we get in your film? And we're like, I yeah, do, sure. <laughs> I, I just love just I love this idea that, you know, you guys talk about this here in this band is is, you know, 10 year old. And uh did you ever envision that you would be on stage in London <laughs> accepting award in front of, you know, all the band's peers? Um, I mean, like Jimmy Page is hanging out in that room, right? Yeah, I actually was introduced to Jimmy Page and I said, I wanted to thank you. And he said, for what? And I said, for being Jimmy Page. That's, so <laughs> That's the only so thing I could come up with, but you know, it's Jimmy Page. Yeah. So yeah. quite a quite a night. And the, the distributors that came out that night to put our film together and help put that film together was amazing. We were like, oh, this is gonna happen. We're gonna make this happen. ACDC is gonna be on board with us. Yeah. So let's let's get to that. Maybe we foreshadowed it a little bit, but you know, you guys had all this momentum. You've landed some monumental interviews. You, you get asked to accept awards on the behalf and screen the trailer. And but you guys then sort of, sort of uh, hit a wall. And I think that wall is is probably called ACDC's management. The 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 heavily guarded um, Fort Knox of of ACDC business. And it seems like the main obstacle to releasing the film. Well, from what I heard, it, you know, you guys tell me a little more. It wasn't so much that they didn't like the idea, um, but it was really about granting the rights to use their music. 
you know, your aim from with the film from the beginning was never to do a straight up documentary like behind the music on ACDC, right? It was beyond the thunder, you know, whether you guys realized that when you wrote on that napkin or not, it became the story about fans examining and sharing those common bonds and passions that unite people from, you know, a wide range of, of backgrounds. So did you guys consider moving ahead on the film without using the music? I mean, you could have done that. Was was there, why was that such an important part of your vision for the final film project? How do you do an ACDC film without their music? I mean, it, it doesn't even seem possible. Um, you know, we, we kind of entertain a lot of different avenues to kind of try to produce something without it, but it just, it never had that authentic feel um, without their music. And I think that's something that they've kind of instilled in us is that authenticity piece. It felt like half a story um, without the music, uh, you know, and I think we wanted to produce a film that not only we were going to be proud of, but the band was going to be proud of as well. Yeah. And Greg and I actually, we were working in London on a project um, and we flew into New York city and we actually set up a meeting with ACDC's manager. Um, We went to the offices and um, was stuck in traffic. We never had that meeting and we just wanted to show our proof of concept and let them know it wasn't a documentary. It was more than that. And so when that meeting didn't happen, we sent countless door openers, little, <laughs> little gags. I mean, Greg made this awesome amplifier that opened up and it had the film in it. And we sent the bottom of an ACDC Converse sneaker. It said, we'll sell our soul to get a meeting with you guys. You know, it was just like one gag. after not all your advertising. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We realized that ACDC is a fortress and um, it's kind of why I love them in the first place, to be honest. With you. It's a fortress yet. You know, we've, we've heard that, you know, all the band members have seen our trailer, like the trailer. Um, so we kind of know that we penetrated through there and, 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 kind of got our message through is it just was a matter of working through the music industry. And I think that's pretty complicated. Yeah. And maybe a matter of timing too, right? Absolutely. We went to, I went to lunch with um, assistant manager a couple of times, wonderful woman um, who's very excited about what we're doing, knows we have a lot of heart for the project, but she can't do anything about that. You know, she's, that's not her job. Her job is to say, no, thanks. You know, um, but they've been very good to us over the years. Well, and that's, that's one of the things we, you know, we talk about with the guests and the, and the episodes and, and is ACDC success musically, you know, comes from knowing what they do well, a proven formula and in sort of optimizing and refining and delivering that in a very pure sense, but not straying too far from those principles. And I imagine they, you know, part of this is their business sense is, is, is very similar. They know what has worked for them. They know um, the image that they, the respect they have from fans and what they need to do. And they're just very, um, they don't need to take risks, big risks, right? Um, even for things that they they like. So yeah, that was the, that was the biggest deal for me, at least that without their permission, I didn't want to do it. I'm a big enough fan where I don't need to go and do unauthorized project that's i just didn't want to do that yeah i didn't want to get sued either <laughs> more <laughs> importantly we didn't want to get sued by the band we love 
Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, that's why we keep Googling fair use for the podcast. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Good segue. Yeah. So, you know, there's so much ground we could cover surrounding the film. And, and you know, we'll probably revisit that in in future behind the scenes episodes. And, and it even kind of worked this way in some of the some of the podcast episodes. But I'd like to pivot to how we ended up here. How did the idea come about to, you know, shift towards producing a, a podcast? After, you know, so many years of kind of seeing the footage just collect dust on the shelf and, and you know, still continuing to do interviews and just slowly pushing the, the film forward over the years, you know, Kurt said, why don't we just do a, like a free release of the film or why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And I, he suggested doing a podcast and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's, you know, we didn't really shoot the footage and record the footage with that purpose, you know, how would that work? And, and um, that's when we brought you in Eric and to kind of help us get through, through that piece and, and to look at the footage, listen to all the interviews and really try to come up with a formula that could kick off this podcast using some of the archive footage that we had and the interviews that we had in the can already. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it came about. It was it was the last platform we had left. <laughs> I, I think when we started this project, you know, there weren't thousands of podcasts. There were probably a hundred podcasts out there at the time. I mean, that's how long ago we started this project. It it, it right. wouldn't wouldn't even have, you know, we wouldn't even have thought of doing a podcast with in tandem of this film because they weren't popular back then. Right. And so even though you guys kind of, you had this momentum and then things slowed down, I mean, you guys, you know, returned, you got better and your industry turned around and you guys got really busy uh, and, and probably needed the income and were, were willing to, 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 to jump back into the industry again. Uh, but you didn't stop. And, and to this day, you know, through the podcast and other things, you guys haven't stopped. You continued to do interviews when the opportunities came up and uh, they came up pretty often. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be introduced to you guys a few years back and cause I, you were kind enough to let me weasel my way into a couple of your, uh, ACDC and other music related endeavors. Uh, and you know, at some point you opened the vault on the film interviews. Um, Greg started unarchiving, uh, the audio and sent it on my way. And I was just, I was blown away. I mean, both by the huge names, um, in the backgrounds of the people he interviewed and, and just by the quality of the content. I just remember driving around in my car, listening to the audio bounce downs of that raw material and knew you guys were sitting on a gold mine. Yeah. I was always impressed with Greg during that time because it was literally two of us. And when we would go and meet someone like Lemmy at his hotel, <laughs> he would be running around like, a maniac setting up lights and the camera equipment, the tripod and miking this guy where I'm just talking with Lemmy with a jacket Coke in my hand. And, you know, as little as help as I could be, I was just there to really just kind of put the, whoever we were interviewing at ease. So think of a two man crew putting this film together is ridiculous. I think people appreciate that too, though. I mean, we were kind of part of that story to them they're like what are these two these two clowns trying to do here what how are they how are they even possibly doing this all we were like blowing people away with what we had captured i was kind of psyched i know i know well that that uh effort to sort of uh 
go above and beyond is kind of extended to the podcast, right, guys? I mean, uh, we probably underestimated a little bit what it would take <laughs> to turn um, interviews originally, uh, good interviews originally done for a film, where really you're looking for almost sound vision bite sort of size things to put into a overall film and then try to take one of those interviews um, and, and turn it into a podcast of, of some reasonable length. Yeah, um, I mean, completely different disciplines when you're out in the field recording. So definitely a little, you know, your creativity, Eric, has kind of made the podcast and, and made this material useful in a podcast. So yeah, I mean, that's all, you know, for listeners, all of the season one interviews were, were from those those film interviews that were in the archives. And if only you guys had mic'd up Kurt, it would have been like <laughs> so much easier. Kurt, do you yeah. want to talk a little bit about the re-skinning is the, the nice word you came up for the process we had to go through? Do you like that word? Yeah, I do. It's, it's one way of saying when you're filming, there's no need to mic up me who's hosting and you're just looking for sound bites. When you're doing a, a documentary, you're looking for pockets or chapters of content. And there's no narration on my part. So Greg never mic'd me. And you can still hear me through whoever we were interviewing's mic. So that was a very useful tool when it came to converting it to a podcast because we could hear what I was asking and then reskin, or in other words, re-record my voice so it made it feel like I was there and I can also give listeners a little bit more backstory and storytelling information. And that's something I think we all felt a little uneasy about, right? I mean, not just, there's a little bit of a technical challenge there to sort of match up, you know, whenever you record an interview, you've got background noise and things. And, and so then to re-record, you know, Kurt later, uh, there's some audio technical issues, but you know, I think we also felt like, is this like cheating a little bit? I mean, we're, we're telling the story of a band who is the most authentic, uh, you know, pure rock and roll band. And now we're like talking about, well, we're going to go back and, um, re-record Kurt asking questions. I mean, I know we felt a little weird about that at the time, but it's, it's what we needed to do to, to put the content out there. How do you guys feel about how that, how that ended up? with our season one episodes. It was awkward, but I'm glad we got through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope that's not awkward for listeners, but it's true. We want to be honest. Yeah. I don't think it's any, it's not a secret. I think it's, you know, if you have any audio knowledge, you can see right through that. Or here. Yeah. I think there's just no way to really fool people. You know, listeners are pretty sophisticated and they can, they can pick up on that shit. Yeah. Plus we've told them, but the, the important thing is we want to obtain new interviews that are live <laughs> and we have. So you guys had this mountain of film interview material thinking about doing the podcast. What went into the selection of the, you know, guests and the episodes for season one? Well, I think, you know, we, we wanted to kind of pick a diverse group of people that, could kind of tell a well-rounded story in the first season. Um, I think we also had to kind of sift through the interviews too, because, you know, sometimes we have 15 minutes to sit down with these people and we spend five of it setting up a microphone and, <laughs> you know, we don't always get a long interview. 
Um, so we kind of had to balance that out too. Um, but we also had some great names. And I think that we kind of wanted to offer to the listeners and, you know, like Chris Slade, for example, um, Dweezil Zappa, Jim Brewer, Slash, like all these names, I think would really kind of get attention and, and really people want to kind of hear their story. So I think we, it was, it was a kind of a delicate balance of how to tell that rounded story keep it diverse, you know, hearing from a comedian to a wartime hero, you know, a pro athlete, try to get all the perspectives and, and encompass what we wanted to really achieve with the film kind of packed into the first season. And we still have a bunch, you know, like you said, we have a mountain of interviews. We still have a bunch more that will probably start to come out in season two. So speaking of season two, so that's a little bit of a trade-off going into season two because um, there's still a lot of good material in the uh, archives. But um, you know, it's really exciting to think about doing new interviews. And in fact, uh, you know, we we started to do some of those. So, so Kurt, can you give us a little idea about what might be in store for season two? Yeah, I think our goal is to continue to unearth these great interviews that we have, uh, including kicking off season two with a posthumous interview with Lemmy and intersperse those with all new interviews. Um, and we've been working feverishly on connecting with people that can share news stories. So for season two, in addition to um, going back to some just really awesome material like Lemmy from, from the archives, uh, got irons in the fire for new interviews. Is there one guest that back to the film and back to the podcast that you've just been dying to get to speak about their uh, connection with ACDC. Yeah. I mean, being from Maine, I was hell bent on getting Stephen King who we are still trying to get. Um, who's politely declined each time they know us by name, believe me, but there's a great example of a non musical connection where Stephen King one of the most prolific writers of our time is quoting ACDC in his books and plays in a band and covers ACDC and even puts them as a soundtrack to one of his movies, a terrible movie, but it's still, it's a great soundtrack. All right. Well, I'm really excited uh, as we move on to season two, just seems like there's, there's so many more stories to be told related to beyond the thunder. So I thought it might be fun to wrap up with a lightning round version of the kind of questions you typically ask podcast guests. Ooh, um, you guys, we're up, in the you guys up for that? Yeah. That's good. Okay. All right. And we'll just, you know, alternate back and forth here. Why don't we start with, you know, Greg on the first question first, then we're going to, we're going to go through them pretty quickly here. So, all right, I'll start my little ACDC uh, timer over here. Uh -oh. Okay. And uh, so we'll start with an easy one. Yeah. Who's the coolest person you interviewed for the film or podcast? Uh, I would have to say Mike Durant. I think when I heard his story, the, the, the hair on my arms stood up straight. And it was just, it was a powerful story. And to this day, I just, I can't imagine going through that. Yeah, I know when I, uh, I know I said this was going to be lightning round, but I had a reaction even when you said that when I, you know, years later going through just, just editing down the audio from the interview, it's just so powerful. It's so, so moving. Okay. Kurt, coolest person you interviewed for the film or podcast. 
Oh, boy. Well, I'm a baseball guy, so I'll go with Trevor Hoffman, who was a pitcher for San Diego Padres, Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the, the most relieves of all time. There's a guy who walks out to the mound to save the game to Hell's Bells. And again, that's kind of like a goosebump situation for me. It was a close, it was a toss up between Trevor and Pat Boone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now uh, we're going to increase the difficulty of the question a little bit. Kurt, <laughs> classic ACDC question Bon or Brian or uh, Axel? Oh, God. <laughs> Well, I had, I was very fortunate to come into ACDC right in between Bon and Brian. And so I love both of those guys and I'm not in either camp. I could, I could uh, take it either way. I love both Brian and Bon. That's right. You also are politically savvy enough to know not to split your audience, right? It's, yeah, it's not a good yeah. <laughs> It's a, good luck, a hot right? good luck, right? Greg, you'll be willing to give your favorite, right? Bon or Brian? Yeah, well, I think, you know, if you'd asked me this at the beginning of the project, I probably would have said that, you know, the new guy, Brian. But I think the more you dive into the catalog and depending on what mood you're in, I think there's just, it's, it's amazing that there's that variety there for you. You know, depending on what you want to listen to, you have both of those voices. And again, the new guy who's been in the band for 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Good answer. Spoken like true yeah, experts. Said that. The new guy. Yeah. There's two <laughs> new guys now. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Hopefully many, many years from now on your deathbed, what is the last ACDC song you hope to hear? I'm going to say Hell's Bells. <laughs> Ooh, that's ominous, Greg. But it sounds so good. It's yeah. like you're already at church. That's brilliant. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go with the obvious heartfelt choice, and I'm going to choose Sink the Pink. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or Ride On. No, if I'm being serious, Ride yeah. On. Is yeah, that's up. another great, great tune. Good All, right. All right. And finally... The question that ends every episode, if you had to describe ACDC in just one word, what would it be? Uh, I'll say thunder. I like that. I've, I've thought about this word a lot, and I'm going to – mine's a multi-tiered answer. I'm sorry. You might have Please to Please don't ask for more than one word. That, is, that gets you banned <laughs> from being on follow-up episodes. Yeah, we've, we've had that a few times. Okay, my word is hard. Nice. Um, their upbringing was hard. Their life was hard. They are emotionally hard people. You know, they're very stern on the outside. Their music is hard. The content of the music is very sexual. So there's a lot of uh, double entendre there. And they're also hard to make a film with. <laughs> 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 Nice. But That's Beyond great. the Thunder will be a podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for that special interview as we did uh, our first Behind Beyond the Thunder episode. Uh, we'll probably be doing these every now and then just to keep telling the story going on around the podcast. But uh, I guess full speed ahead for season two, right, guys? Yeah, let's do All it. All right. ACDC Beyond the Thunder theme song, Trailer Trash, written and performed by Gannon Arnold. 
VO Talent by Bruce Jacobson. Cinematography and sound recording by Greg Ferguson. Edited and mixed by Eric Keel. Written, directed, and hosted by Kurt Squires. Produced by Greg Ferguson, Eric Keel, and Kurt Squires. ACDC Beyond the Thunder is a Squires LLC current motion production. Copyright Beyond the Thunder podcast. All rights reserved. This has been a Nat Attack presentation. Shazbot. Nanu Nanu. Nanu.